this day I am uh, praying that the spirit of the Africans, the African Christians, will be upon us all and that we will sit at their feet and learn from them even as uh, we learn about this amazing North African man by the name of Apollos. This guy was a follower of Jesus. That's what the word says to us. And uh, he, he had to have been an exceptional man. I mean, what little we know about him from the several references that we have in the New Testament point to a, a phenomenal man of God. Um, you got to ask, who introduced him to Jesus? You know, how did he know about Jesus? Because, uh, you know, he's over, in the, uh, over on the African continent. Could it have been Simon of Cyrene? We don't know. What we do know is that the Africans have played an important part in the gospel story from the very beginning. And what I hope that you will know is that in the early years of our church, our mother, many great saints came out of Africa following after Apollos. All of us should know the names of Perpetua and Felicity, early martyrs of the faith, a young mother and her maid who faced death in the early 200s in Carthage rather than bowing to a false god. Or think of Antony the Great some 50 years later who went into the desert and fought the demons in the desert for years to get freedom in his own life, walked out later and stood against the prefect of Alexandria, which should have been immediate death. And the prefect turned aside and spared the old man's life. He was my age when he did that. He went to Alexandria to be a martyr and went on to serve uh, well over 50 years after that in shaping the life of the church that we even have today. He was an African. Think of Athanasius, the great bishop of Alexandria. Listen, these people stood for the gospel and they fought hard for the gospel. Athanasius was not only a great theologian, he's what we call a father of the church. In other words, a man whom we need to know personally. He was a defender of the faith. Then think of the great African who was the Bishop of Hippo, and his name was? St. Augustine. Exactly. Another church father, a defender of the faith, theologian worthy of our best efforts and attention today, Cyril of Alexandria, on and on and on, we owe great debt to the Africans. Thomas Oden, uh, probably uh, the single greatest Wesleyan theologian uh, in recent years, said that uh, the Africans literally saved the church in these volatile years, so we are grateful. Now, if you've got your word in and want to follow along with me, look at verse 25 in the scripture that Kalen read for us. It says he spoke with burning enthusiasm. Now, get a hold of this. Craig Keener says that the phrase could actually be translated, he was boiling in the spirit. 
I kind of like the keener version. You know, Lord, let us boil in the spirit. It also says that Apollos accurately taught the things concerning Jesus. You know, this was a really big concern about people in that day and time. And it's, it, it's got to be a concern for us today. So the man was not in error. But since he only knew the baptism of John, he really did not have the full picture of the life of the church and the ministry of the church. It'd be a whole PhD uh, dissertation to uh, dive into why he was not uh, rebaptized uh, while others were, but probably he wasn't rebaptized, again, according to Craig Keener, because the Holy Spirit was with him, already at work in his life. Now I want you to look. Just, let's just keep looking here. Look at uh, verse 26. It's a key verse. And there is a placement of words that Dr. Luke placed for us in this verse that would be very easy to miss. Look at it. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside to teach him. Now, what's the placement of words? What catches your eye here? Anyone want to share? What catches your eye? Real quick on placements of words. This is your one chance to uh, win an all-expenses-paid lunch in the cafeteria with Dr. Martin. <laughs> Any takers? Who said that? Please stand up. <laughs> stand up. There he is. <laughs> All right, son, I'll take you out right now after the service. So. so I can't see you that far. Who is that? <laughs> oh, Brian. <laughs> I'm sorry. Brian, Brian Ballinger. Let me tell you, was it accidental that Dr. Luke put, that Dr. Luke put Priscilla first? I don't think so. That wasn't his style. There's nothing accidental about this. Get it clear. The woman was a teacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, so amen? amen. Eh, let's try that again. <laughs> let's get it really straight now. The woman was a delegated teacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, having been instructed herself by none other than the Apostle Paul. Amen? Amen. 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 Then let it be settled, all right? There's an important, not only ordering of names, but I think if you look at the custom here about the teaching that would have unfolded, it's not like they pulled them aside and said, let's go down, let's go over and sit in Jessica's office for a while. I don't think that's what happened. Now, we've got to use a little formative imagination here. Nevertheless, this imagination is firmly grounded in the cultural practice of God's church in that day and time. And here it is. I highly suspect they took Apollos into their home, into the intimacy and the fellowship of their own home, and they fed him. 
and they probably met any number of times. And what are they doing? They are instructing him. They're bringing him into the full fellowship of that Ephesian community of faith, and they're teaching him. Now, according to our own Ben Witherington, they didn't have to correct him. All they had to do was increase his base of knowledge. You getting a link here? Welcome to my home. Welcome to this home, Asbury Theological Seminary, where, where your base is being blessed and strengthened and founded in historic, classical, consensual, orthodox theology. Now listen, listen to me. You're starting to see some of the most important dynamics of Christian community unfold here. I hope you're already seeing the unity of the church and, 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 and this whole business of apostolic authority. I hope you're seeing that Apollos was a good man who was preaching the gospel. I hope you see that an apostolic teacher of the gospel who was really primary. She was called a great woman of the faith later. That she and her husband were teaching Apollos the whole apostolic tradition. I hope you also see there was no condemnation here. There was hospitality, graciousness. Then there's a huge, huge dynamic. Apollos this deeply gifted man of God was willing to be taught. Now, uh, how many professors are here? Let's see your hand. Now, this is just for the professors. Apollos, this beautiful man of God, was willing to be taught. Professors, amen? Amen. amen. There was a willingness on his part. So we're seeing the unity of God's church at play here. We're seeing beauty unfold. There was the authority of the gospel. It wasn't up for grabs. And it wasn't retranslated. And it wasn't migrated from one culture in order to fit better in another culture. The gospel is the eternal word of God and it does not change. There was apostolic teaching unfolding in this community. What does it mean? The apostles were simply the ones who were closest to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They held the treasure. And so what do we believe in? One what? One holy what? Catholic and apostolic church. We tie ourselves to the teachings of the gospel, and the minute you go astray from the apostolic tradition on any of the points of the gospel, you have stepped out of the tradition. You're not a part of the great flow of God's church that will not be overcome. There were appointed and recognized teachers of the gospel, and Priscilla was in those ranks. And they knew and they well presented the word of God. And then, I hope you're seeing that the community itself was subject. It bowed down. It, it stood under the authority 
of the gospel. In other words, they were willing not only to receive the gospel, but they were willing to incarnate it in their lives. And the extent to which we have any type of healthy community here will be the extent to which all of us, all of us, both receive and incarnate the gospel in our lives. I hope you're seeing here, I hope you're seeing the great dynamic. Christianity is a we. It's always plural. Never me. Never singular. Are you seeing it? Christianity is always a we. It's plural. It's a community. It's never a me. Apollos could have easily puffed himself up. Now I need to get a little closer to you here. So hold on. Apollos could have easily have puffed himself up. He was a well-educated man. Listen, those schools in Alexandria in their day and time were top-rated schools in the whole Mediterranean. He had natural gifts. And he had supernatural gifts. I can just, this would be a typical West Texan response. Now, I get it. I'm a West Texan, so I'm not picking on anybody else. I'm not going to let that woman talk to me. Lord have mercy. No, he didn't have that. He didn't have that posture. He humbled himself within the community and allowed the woman of God to instruct him into the way of life. Now, since 19, uh, I think, 84, I'm getting old and I forget my dates, but anyway, for a long time, I have been doing pastor's conferences in a whole lot of places for a whole lot of different folks. And early on in these pastor's conferences, I would, I would do what I would call red flags of ministry. And... One of the questions I would get at with red flags of ministry is that I would, I would just simply ask the pastors. Now, these were graduates, many of them graduates of our own institution. I'd ask them a very simple question, and I've done this even up until this year in a pastor's conference in New York. I'd ask, I'd ask this question. First, I would ask it of the men. Gentlemen, how many close Friends, do you have right now who you are allowing to speak into your life right now? Boom, the heads go down. Do you know what, over all of these decades, in more than one country, the normative answer that I continue to receive to this day, by far and away, the vast majority answer is zero. I'm thinking, son, how did you fail seminary? You know, what happened to you here? Now, you know what's about to happen. Then I turn to the ladies, and I say, dear ones, and the tears are already coming. And now what I've seen change culturally over these last decades is this shocking word coming from the ladies, zero. And I hear words, well, my professors told me I shouldn't have any close friends in the people I serve. 
Oh, my Lord, have mercy. Have you not read the New Testament and the very example of Jesus and how he lived and worked and served in community? Friends, this is a call of God upon us. And you cannot look seriously at the Trinity and dismiss community. Just look at what Steve Siemens has written for us about all of this. So, are you with me now? Let me go back up. We really come to a critical point here. Who has all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Do I see any hands being raised? All right, Jesus has not come back yet then. That's good. Who sees the whole picture of any organization but particularly a complex organization, which your congregation will be, who sees the whole picture, God's picture, correctly by themselves for that organization? Oh, let me tell you. Some of you are going to get out, and this is going to be a huge temptation to you. The great temptation to be the big woman or the big man who sees it all, who's got God's solution for everything, you must fight this with a vengeance. Listen, our own administration here, if you just look around you, look at our own administration and how it's run. It's not a one-man show. It's not a one-woman show. Our administration is surrounding our leader with top, notch, highly gifted people. God's blessing has been on this administration. and God's blessing has been on this institution. I think because of some of the humility that has been displayed by our leadership. And so we protect that. We put our arms around that. We bless that and we pray for that. Now who has the whole wisdom of the tradition? Oh, I know some of us professors really fall into a trap here and think that we've got it, but listen. Let's listen to the apostolic voice itself here from 1 Corinthians 12. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Are all apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, well, do gifts, have gifts of healing, speak in tongues, interpret? Well, of course not. And then he goes on to say, there's no such thing as a single-member body. You know what I'm talking about, a single-member body? In other words, the ear is not the whole show. You know, you're getting it? The hand is not the whole show. God set it up to where I need you to be a whole person. He set it up that way. That's his design. There's no such thing as a single-member body. Would you repeat after me? There is no such thing as a single-member body. Amen. Now believe it. Live it. I am not the whole body of Christ. I am not the only one. 
So it's only living in community and submitting to one another in community as hard as that can be. St. John of the Cross was thrown, he was a Catholic counter-reformation person, was thrown into a, a pit for months uh, by his own brothers. And then after that, he's reflecting on it, and, and he wrote these things called the precautions. And he said, basically, to sum it up, he said, look, you have come to the community uh, so that all might be a part of God's handiwork in your life. He said, some are going to mold you with words against you. Uh, some are going to be like uh, the gilder who paints over you. Some are going to shape you. Some are going to form you in this way or the other. Basically what he says, it's your job to sit and stay on the table. It's not easy to live in community. In fact, anybody who's been married for any length of time will tell you living in community is the hardest thing you will ever do. Yet we stay on the table. We stay where God has placed us. We come to the realization that all of us have blind spots and all of us are impacted by the fall. And we hold, we are very clear, we hold to the West, well, to the Orthodox doctrine of the depravity, I mean total depravity, saying that every aspect of our lives has been impacted by the fall, which means I need input from you in order to see correctly. Later on in the tradition, a man by the name of John Cashin, who was not himself an African, but who was trained by the African, noticed that there was a certain category of people called that he called Sarabites. That's what the community in Africa called them, Sarabites. Now, Sarabites were people who flitted around like a little bird from one community to another. They would never settle. And uh, they wanted uh, the recognition of being religious people, but they refused to put their necks under the yoke of obedience within the communities. Now, John Cashin... Uh, was kind of a crude man at times, and uh, he categorized these cerebites right along in the same category that we would categorize the flea bites uh, and the chigger bites. Uh, those of you who are outside the United States, chiggers are really bad things that uh, get a hold of you and, and eat you alive. Friends, the tragic end of isolation of wanting benefits of community without commitment to community is that it will lead you to be insulated from the Holy Spirit. You know, nobody's going to stand on their own, not in this day and time. You'll get that shadow self that Jessica so wonderfully preached about last week. And again, let me just emphasize, if God himself lives in intimate community, then how much more should we? We thank the Lord for how Steve Siemens addressed this yesterday. So we abide with Christ first, then we are called to be in the community. Now here comes the first great invitation of this year as we cover the means of grace over the whole year. It's an invitation to follow Jesus through living in Christian community. 
Listen to another apostle, apostolic teaching, 2 Peter 1.5. You must make every effort to support your faith with goodness or virtue, however you translate it. Or you must make every effort to add to your faith. Oswald Chambers said, add means that we have something to do. There's a role for us to play here. There's, there's an important part for us. Dear ones, your life here at seminary must not be primarily about performance. You are not your grade. I want you to say this with me. We'll put it in first person singular. I am not my grade. Now I need you to believe that. I'm not saying don't work hard. I'm not saying that at all. But there's far more to this Christian walk than performance on the one hand. Or you may be here on the other hand just to get credentialed. And you're just going to do what you have to do to get by. Both of those are, are deep traps. No, you are primarily here for the Holy Spirit to work in your life to do what? To explain the way of God more accurately. And one of the great things that we at this seminary want to explain more accurately to you is what Eugene Peterson shared in his comments on Psalm 127. People are at the center of Christian work. Man, it's the relationships. The character of your work is going to be shaped not so much by your accomplishments or by your possessions, but in the birth of relationships like Jesus did. We're called to develop sons and daughters, sisters and brothers, even as our Lord did for us. Now the last verse, verse 27, and when he wished to cross over to Achaia, the believers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. Now get this vision in your mind. Time's going to come when the president of this institution is going to be standing up on a stage and you're going to walk up and he's going to give you your letter of recommendation in a, what is it, a little flat folder. Now that's going to be an exciting time for you, right? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Y'all just staying with us. Well, all the better. We love it. It will be an exciting time. It'll be a great time in your life, and we look forward to that. We want that to happen. Dr. Tennant's going to hand you a letter, a document, telling the disciples that you are called to serve, that you have indeed been accurately trained in the way of God. But let me share with you that the greatest part of this education actually lies in your own hands. Oswald Chambers said this statement that we so often hear, make a decision for Jesus Christ, places an emphasis on something our Lord never trusted. He never asks us to decide for him. He asks us to yield to him. That's something very different. If we're going to follow, then we yield. And the first great step of yielding in the classic historic understanding of the apostolic tradition is that we put ourselves in Christian community. 
Now, you're going to study John Wesley. And you're going you're to find in John Wesley that he never, at least to my knowledge, and I ran this by my friend, uh, Ken Collins. Uh, he's the imprimatur here for me. Anyway, I ran it by Collins, and he backs me up. You're never going to find an instance where John Wesley invited people to come down to the altar to accept Jesus. It just didn't happen in the Methodist renewal movement, not in uh, his day and time. But there was an invitation. It was a strong invitation. The invitation was to come join the community, come be a part of the society, and to be a part what was called the class meeting where you share life with others and you put yourself under the accountability of others and you enter into the means of grace. This is our invitation today and there are so many categories here in this institution where you can step into community through Phil Meadows and Inspire, through our own DNA groups and they're meeting tomorrow night, right? Seven o'clock tomorrow night. There's all sorts of groups coming. The invitation is for you to step into those groups. And now, once again, we turn to the Africans to lead us in the way of Christ. <laughs> 